And the question to make us think as we begin our lesson today and our thought is simply this. Are you sure that you are eternally safe? Are you sure, certain that you have salvation? I think all of us here would proclaim that we believe in the, the name of Jesus Christ. But there is a healthy aspect of asking ourselves and really thinking, am I really saved? When I partake of the Lord's Supper, am I truly thinking on Christ and living for Christ as I should? I don't call you to, uh, to doubt that what Jesus did on the cross, whether or not it was effective, but I'm asking you whether your heart is right with him. Hebrews, the book, gives multiple warnings. And I will again reiterate what I have spoken of to several times is that in chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. There is no doubt that the ones that the author is writing to are ones who have confessed the name of Jesus Christ. They have taken him as their Lord and Savior. They look at him as the great apostle, the high priest, the great high priest. So they, they believe in Jesus. They look to have salvation in him. That's what they were taught. But to these people, these very same ones, there are multiple warnings given. Chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We don't want to drift away from the message we've heard. Chapter 3, verse number 6. <clears throat> but Christ was a faithful, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Now that might not sound too like too much of a warning unless you understand and see very clearly that there is a word in there, if. If we hold fast. We are God's house if we hold fast. You can ask a very simple question, well, what if we do not hold fast? Then we are clearly not his house. We are not his family. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. You do not want to fall away. It is possible for somebody within the brethren to fall away, have an unbelieving heart and fall away. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear <clears throat> if... While a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to come short of it. You do not want to come short of the promise. 
That means you would be lost. You would not receive the promise. Chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. Through following the same example of disobedience. So it is very clear from these passages and one more, a very important one, I might add. Verses, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of the God and the powers of the age to come, I'm going to pause for a second. There might be, uh, you know, this is one of those passages that that mentions some things and you're like, well, what specifically is that talking about? Uh, I believe that that passage is a a reference to people. uh, These are, and he's speaking to the Hebrews, he's speaking to Jewish, the Jewish nation, people who were the children of God, followed the the old law of Moses. They did it faithfully. But when they heard the message about Jesus, they believed in him. I believe that those apostles went forth um, and laid their hands on the believers. Uh, The apostle Paul being one of them, everywhere he went, he laid his hands on the believers and prayed for them so that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way. There were miraculous workings in the early church. Miraculous workings that as you look through the scripture, that came only through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So the, the church began with great power, with a great, with a great understanding and a great knowledge that what they believed was authentic because God showed up and proved the word, the message of Jesus Christ, salvation in him, a new covenant in him. It was authenticated by the presence of the Holy Spirit performing miracles among the people. This being written likely before A.D. 70, maybe just some 30 years removed from the the time of Christ, if it was written around 60, 65 or something, these are some Christians who are maybe uh, 30 years old in the faith. Maybe somebody who got a it was immersed in Christ at the time that they were 20 years old. Now they're 50 years old or so. And uh, the word had been authenticated through them. And they had experienced, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, they had experienced the ability to perform signs and wonders and miracles or had at least witnessed it among others. So I think when you start reading verse 4 and 5, it's talking about These people were witnesses. They were enlightened. They tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, it really seems crazy to say that somebody who accepted Christ and then they learned uh, 
and they'd seen in different ways, they, they knew that what they accepted was true because miracles were performed to show the authenticity of the message. If those folks could fall away having witnessed that, then is it not also possible for us to fall away? We who have not witnessed those great miracles taking place in the church day after day? If they could fall away, then certainly we can. And if they can continue to, uh, to go forward in their faith, claiming to hold on to Jesus Christ, and yet trying to go back to an old way, the old law, which is really taking them away from the new covenant. They're trying to perform and meet the promises of two covenants. If they, you know, if they could do that unwittingly, if they could give up one test, one covenant, try and go back to the old one, and still they're thinking they're saved because they're in Jesus Christ, but they're leaving Jesus and going back to the old way. If they could be so mixed up in their mind and confused and convince themselves that they're right, then don't you think we also can be confused thinking that we are right, but we are really drifting back into an old way, an old life without Christ. So I ask again, are you sure that you are eternally safe? Are you sure of your salvation in Christ? Hebrews is just one book that provides many warnings. But yet, that confidence is expressed also. You can be confident. There is a way you can be confident. And that question is, well, how can I be confident? How can I be absolutely sure? How can I be certain that I am saved? Verse 9, chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 19 and 20, what we looked at last week was this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both steadfast, sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Our hope should be sure and steadfast. How can we have a full assurance of hope? How can we know that our salvation is set and anchored in the right thing. The answer is be diligent and not sluggish. We've mentioned those words a couple of times. We even had a lesson on the idea of go to the ant, O sluggard, and observe her ways. So the ant is a busy worker. Nobody telling it what to do. The, the ant just does it and gets busy so that it can rest at the harvest time or after the harvest. So let us consider uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. It says, As we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to, the re so as to realize the full assurance of hope. And I like to pause there and just kind of say that in my own way. To realize something is to make it a reality. You know, this is so as to make this a reality, the full assurance of your hope. You can make that a reality until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This this verse 
in verse 11, it is telling us to show the same diligence. Verse 12 is saying, not be sluggish. It's the essence of that verse. You take that verse and you look at the two things, the two parts of, of that, those two verses, and it's number one, be diligent. Number two, don't be sluggish, which is really saying the same thing. So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, this is how we can realize the hope that we have. It's how we can make it a reality. It's how we can be standing firm and sure, knowing that we are anchored to the rock which cannot move. Be diligent, not sluggish. And I like this term diligence. If you look up the, the Hebrew for the word diligence, the root of it is is to hasten or to speed along or to encourage. It's, it's speed, it's doing, it's haste, it's getting busy. It's, it's like, I, I love it when, when if I ask my child to do something, when he makes haste and does it. That's listening, isn't it? And sometimes I have to remind them, be quick to listen. I've asked you to do something, do it right now. You don't even have to say yes, sir, if you get up and go and get busy and do it. But I want that acknowledgement that you heard and you're going to do. So be quick to listen. That's all God asks from us is to listen to him and to do what he says. That's faith. It's a very, very simple concept. It's kind of hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Be quick to listen. That's the essence of diligence. Be quick to listen. I think the very next book is James. James 1.19. I'm just going to flip since I'm so close just to make sure I'm quoting it right. I think it's verse 19. James 1.19. This you know, brethren, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry. It's a beautiful, simple verse. Um, for you parents, grab hold of that one. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, this is, I think this is the first verse that every parent should teach their kids. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. It's what God wants of us. Quick to listen. Jesus talks about that same concept in Luke chapter 6, in his parable at the end of his Sermon on the Mount that's, that's recorded here. Luke six forty six. beginning there, we're going to see what Jesus teaches us about our salvation. Because I would like to ask you that, uh, you know, this, this idea, this concept of, are you really saved? Are you certain that if the Lord were to come back right now, he would say, come with me. I want to take you to your father's house in heaven. Are you confident that he would bring you there with him? Is he going to be proud of who you are? Or is he going to be ashamed of you because you have been ashamed of him? Have you done all that he's asked? Have you longed for it? Have you been eager to do what he says? Have you hastened along the word of God in your life? You've been diligent to put these things into practice. Jesus is talking about this in chapter 6 of Luke. Verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's like my kids, why do you call me father if you don't do what I, what I say? 
you know, it's, it's, if I'm your father, I'm your master. I'm the one, definition of a father is the one who tells the kid what to do, right? That's the way it should be. So Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me master? If you're not going to do what I say, that makes no sense at all. The essence of salvation then requires more than talk. It requires more than just saying something that Jesus is my Lord. Because the, the world is filled with so many people today who claim to be followers of Christ and don't know a thing of what he has instructed. They just think he's, that Jesus came to tell us to be good. Jesus did not come to teach us to be good. He wants to make us good, but we can only be good if we listen and do what he says. We can only be good if we identify our lives in him because he is the one that is good. We're going to mess it up all the time, but we've got to turn to him and let him be our life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Salvation is more than just talk. Verse 47 says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. So Jesus says there, Anybody who comes to me and hears what I say, anybody who listens to what I say, say and does them, you listen to my words and do them, I've given you a word, do it. When you are like that, because this is the essence of, and it's sad that Jesus has to teach us that listening means doing. He has to be very explicit about it. But he does because we just don't get it. We, if we hear Jesus, then we've got to do what he says. That is the essence of faith. That is what will save us. And he's going to expound upon that a little bit more. So everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Verse 48. He is like a man building a house. That's what we're doing. We're building something. We want to build our lives. So this man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it. Because it had been well built. My footnote for this spot where it's in verse 48, it says that that this man building a house is one who dug deep. The literal translation, according to New American Standard, is dug and went deep. He started digging and he kept digging and he went deep. Salvation comes by digging deep deep now has anybody here ever laid a foundation for a house or dug a foundation for a house i haven't been involved in that i've got a hand though the of somebody who has you get that wrong you might as well give up it requires a great amount of work a great amount of talent and thinking and wisdom to be able to get the foundation right This person who was getting ready to build her house, they didn't just lay a foundation. It says they dug deep and they laid the foundation on the rock. No indication of how deep that might have been. But I guarantee you, if they started digging and did not get to the rock, they would not quit digging. Uh, 
unless they decided they better move locations. Perhaps that happened at times when people were building houses back then. But you got to dig deep. It requires great effort. There is diligence involved. We have talked about diligence versus sluggishness. Diligence is the doing and going after and not stopping, not quitting until it is done and done right. Sluggishness is just kind of like, I don't know, I'll get around to that or whatever. I'm going to wait for somebody to tell me what to do. The ant isn't like that. The ant doesn't have anybody telling it what to do, but it goes out and it gathers and it builds. It does what it's supposed to do so that it'll be ready when winter comes. We cannot be sluggish when it comes to faith. We must be diligent. Diligent. So diligence is... It hits us. It's a command to all of us. It's a command to us as a church, but it's a command to us as individuals. We've got to be diligent to make sure that we are building our life on the true foundation. Effort, eagerness, speeding something along, hastening it, working at it, going deep. No sluggishness. And it's so easy to have somebody tell us what to do. It's so easy to have somebody, you know, just to let somebody who seems smart tell us how to be saved. Or maybe somebody to come along and just tell us, hey, you're doing a fine job. Yeah, just keep that up. You're doing good. You'll be saved. That's so easy. And God teaches us that salvation and faith are not meant to be something you approach lazily or sluggishly, but you work at it. It is more than talk. It is hearing and doing. And when it comes to the hearing part, I just, you know, there's such an easy application to the digging deep, isn't there? Because when we approach Scripture, we know that we have to dig deep. We have to be studying. We have to be knowledgeable of what is in here. Let us dig deep into God's word and see what he truly says. Also in verse uh, 48 here, uh, you'll see that in the latter part of this verse, it, it talks about when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house, could not shake it because it had been well built. It's an acknowledgement that You know, life is basically going to come at us. We're trying to build our lives. We want to be firm on whatever it is that we're trying to build on. We want our lives to be solid and firm. But the question is, when the storm comes, when you get hit, hit with the water and the torrent, what's going to happen? I would contend to you that if You build on any other foundation other than Jesus Christ that you, in the storms of life, you're going to get knocked around and hit hard and wiped out. And you're just going to go through life wondering, isn't there something more? Isn't there something better? Don't I have a purpose in life? Isn't there there something that 
just would be more fulfilling. I just want to be happy, but I just can't seem to be happy. That's what life is like when you don't dig deep and lay that foundation on the rock, which is Jesus Christ and his teaching. Digging deep and laying a foundation on the rock provides safety and permanence. There's no other way to get through this life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised there aren't. Uh, there, Through the past year, there have been so, I, I think the suicide rate has just gone tremendously up, up, up. When the storms of life come, you know, it hits hard. Uh, I hope you have Jesus. I hope you build on him. Because I want you to make it through the storms of life. I want you on that final day to be able to stand firm, to stand sure and confident before Jesus Christ. And uh, ironically enough, I think our confidence in him will be that when we see him, we shall bow before him and say, oh, I'm not worthy, but, but you are the Lord, you are the master. I, all of my good deeds are worthless, but, but Jesus, I believe in you with all my heart. And I have done my diligence. I have tried my best to follow you in your ways. Verse 49 then says, but one who has heard and is not and has not acted accordingly. So he heard and didn't do. But it's likely he said, yes, Lord. It's like a kid who says, you know, father says, go dig that hole. And uh, the kid says, I'll do it. Yes, Lord. But then he doesn't do it. Well, that's who's being talked about here. The one who has heard and has not done, didn't do, is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Failure to dig deep results in destruction. You know, I just, I just wonder if, if sometimes people would actually, they'd start to dig. They understand, they know that I've got to dig, dig deep. I've got to get that foundation. But then they just get a little tired of digging and say, oh, well, this is probably good enough. I think I'll be all right. Odds are, I'm, I'm good enough. There's probably not going to be, during my lifetime, a storm big enough to reach up to this level. You know, there's not going to be that 100-year storm. You heard of a 100-year storm? They kind of know, hey, a land, a certain plot of land, it's only going to flood this many times within a hundred years. Um, you know, maybe somebody just says, all right, I think I've done deep enough. I think I'm good enough. I'll just go ahead and put the uh, put the foundation here. I'll just start building right now, even though I haven't dug down to the rock, because I don't know where that rock's at. Get a little tired. Get a little sluggish. Good intentions at first, but then bam. They just, all right, kind of give up. I'll be fine. Failure to dig deep results in destruction. Dig, digging deep and going deep, God wants us to go deep into him. This is such an important concept in Scripture. He doesn't want a superficial relationship with us. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. It's interesting, uh, 
when the apostles, or at least when Peter and the others had been fishing all night and Jesus came up to him, I believe that Jesus told them to go out into the deep and cast their net again. Go to the deep. We've got to go deep. You know, if we're just going through life and most of our life is going to work or going to school and and watching TV and doing um, some kind of social media on our phones and um, and uh, getting plenty of good food to eat. And then since we are so wealthy and we eat so much, we got to get tons of exercise to work it all off. And then we, you know, and we got to do good at our jobs so we can hire somebody else to mow our grass. And, you know, it's just all these things, you know, if, if all that's what life is for us. And then, oh, I've got to be at church on Sunday. Don't forget that one. Uh, what part of that sounded like digging deep? You know, a lot of times when we're young, we, we get this little, oh, there is a God. I've got to search after him. It's up to my, my it's, I've got to decide, is this true? And we start digging into the faith. We start reading on our own and we, we dig and we learn and we're excited about it. And then pretty soon we get, get into life and, and life kind of starts getting to be kind of like normal everyday life. And we end up looking not so different from everybody else. And so we've got to keep this youthful vigor and desire to come to God. Uh, that's, that's maybe one of the things about, a, about that childlike faith is that they really desire, you know, to be with their parents. They have a childlike faith that says, I want to be with my parents. My, my mom is the, the smartest. My dad's the greatest. He's the strongest. You know, and it's, and it's coming to him. There's that, there's that trust and faith and coming to, but then, we get older and we just kind of, you know, the, the children become, they start going off on their own, taking care of things themselves. God says, I want you, to, like a child, turning to me and trusting me and loving me all the days of your life. So adults, we've got to have this childlike faith. Long for Jesus. Be diligent in him. Dig deep in the faith. I want to know more and I want to do more. Know more and do more. And when you do God's word, there's a wonderful, wonderful confidence that comes from it. John chapter 7. Flip over a few pages to the next book. John chapter 7. The kids at camp heard this verse this week. John chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. Because the people were asking him, you know, who, who taught you? How, how do we trust what you're talking about? Um, verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. So there's this cool thing about God's word. If you seek it and you trust it and you start living it, even if you have some difficulties with faith and there's some issues going on, you, uh, it says if you're willing to do it, if anybody is willing to do his will, you hear what Jesus is saying, just listen to what I teach and you put it into practice, start doing it, you'll know that it's true. Truly from God and not just from a man. You can trust the stuff that's here. You can trust this information. And if you want to know how you can trust it, start doing it. And then you'll just, you'll know 
Because the one who created you is starting, is getting you to do the things that you ought to be doing, you'll know that it's true. Self-authentication is what our, our paper has. Um, it was created by Gaston Cogdale of 30 reasons why we can believe and trust that the Bible is the Word of God. Number 29 on that list. And it's on our website if you want to go see it. Number 29 is self-authentication. And it quotes this verse and it just says, hey, if you do it, you'll know it's true. That is the neatest thing, the way God programs us. When we follow his word, do his will, we'll know it's true. There's this great confidence that comes from knowing that you have God's word. Knowing that you're right with him and doing what he wants you to do. Great confidence. You can stand before God when you're, when you're digging deep here, knowing the truth and doing it. You can be utterly confident that, hey, when someone, next time somebody asks me, are you sure that you're eternally safe? You can say, oh man, by the grace of God, I am. I'm digging deep in him and I love him. I know what he's done for me. I know what he's doing and what he will do. I am so confident in him. It's a beautiful thing. Confidence, hope. It springs strong when we do and follow the word of God. And then also, when we know the truth and live by it, we can have great confidence in our eternal security. Just as Romans, I think this kind of confidence that we can have, and we should have, is in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And I'll end here. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Every blessing. We get every blessing in Christ. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who also was raised, who is at the right hand of the God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day, the day long. We were sent, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we, are over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how... how how then do you explain where we started? You know, that we were talking about, you know, Hebrews is so clear to give multiple warnings that you can fall away. Man, this makes it pretty sure and pretty clear that nothing can separate you from Christ. And if you look through there, these are all external things. No other person, no other thing, no other problem, no other power. Nothing, nothing can separate us from Christ. The only thing that's not mentioned there is yourself. Not being diligent to dig deep. Laziness is not mentioned there because it is self. It is ourselves that can keep us from maturing in Christ and growing in Him 
and coming to a full assurance of our faith in him. We are the only ones who can keep us from being united with Christ. So, I want you to know that this where we started. Are you sure you are eternally safe? If you're still not, if you're, first of all, you've got to realize, hey, you can fall away. That's true. But to keep from falling away, dig deep and do all that he asks. Get busy learning and keep on doing. Do, do, do. Make your life a living word before men. And then you can have this wonderful, wonderful thought and wonderful knowledge that you are in Christ and eternally saved. So listen to Jesus. Do what he says. Build your life on the rock. We're not perfect as we go along the way, but we're continuing to build. We start on the foundation. We dig deep in him and we keep on working and building. And if there's anybody here who needs some encouragement in the building process, we're going, we would be happy to pray for you. If there's anybody here who needs to dig deep and give your life to Jesus and start that process of, of complete devotion and faith to him, giving your life to him in baptism as you call upon his name and, and vow to live with him forever, if you need to do that today, then we are happy to help you. If there's anybody that needs to respond, you let us know today. And now we turn and consider the one who is the rock, Jesus Christ. We'll remember him in communion. Brother Jay.